0: Everybody and welcome back to another episode of the Tennis Attic podcast. I'm your host Michael, and with me is my co-host Michael. That's right. It's Mike and Mike. (laughs) Back again. Uh, As you can tell, uh, Eric is not with us this week. He is on vacation. However, he did uh, leave uh, some picks for uh, Wimbledon for us to go over as we go through the draw. Uh, So we will get to that here shortly. Uh, However, we do have some feedback that I'd like to address a little bit first, and uh, it's someone who has sent in feedback before. It is Marina. She is from Brazil. She is somebody who, uh, she's the first feedback we ever received, actually, and uh, I like getting feedback from her because, A, she's honest, and B, you can tell she's really passionate about tennis, and that's, you know, here, that's what we love. That's what we want
1: yeah, that's what right. we look for. That's what we look for.
0: So. All right. So there, there was an email that Marina sent, and it a lot of it had to do with the discussion last week. And I'm going to address that here in a minute. Before I get to that, there was a few points that she had to make regarding things we got wrong. And I'm going to address that as well. So uh, let me go over this. First thing is uh, our initial um, – we, we were talking about Djokovic's uh, child and the sex of the child, and we got it wrong initially, and then later on we got it right, right? So, I think we first said it was a daughter and then I think we changed our mind and we got it right. Uh, the other thing, things that we got wrong, uh, somebody and I don't know who, uh, called the Hurlingham tournament in Majorca Arlingham. So, that of course is incorrect, and, and somebody had said that. And I don't know whether that was me or my brother or whoever. Uh, and the other thing is that uh, we mistakenly said that Chilich's coach was Goran Ivanisevic, And which, which he was, was, they, they parted ways in 2016. And he is now coached by uh, Jonas Borkman. And that, of course, <laughs> thank you, uh, Marina, because I, you know, when I read that, it's like I knew that I know that they had broken up uh, at some point. It I don't want to say the latter stages of two thousand and sixteen for some reason I don't know why and maybe it's because they've been together for a while and they so they were like so inextricably inextricably linked together uh, that for some reason even though deep down I, I knew they were they were not co- you know coach and uh, you know player anymore. For some reason, it just didn't stick. So that's you know our fault for not having that information correct. And Michael, you did bef- said before we started podcasting that uh, you know you didn't know that, right? I mean, it, you just no.
1: Uh, I, and I mean, I I follow tennis daily. I mean daily, and I mean hourly daily. Like I, I'm always on the news uh, of tennis. I, I try to keep my my finger on the pulse, uh, as some say. And I I cannot remember a time where I saw anything whatsoever. I don't know how this slipped uh, <laughs> slipped through uh, on me that I did not see that that Ivanisevic had split with Chilich. Um, yeah, that really really would have changed our discussion um, had we known that that was the case. And uh, Marina, again, thank you. Uh, we we greatly apologize for that, but um, it. Uh, I, I do believe on, on Eric's part too. I, I don't believe that him nor I and, and we both follow very closely. Somehow we completely missed this uh, and Mike, you had said that that you at this point believe that there you know it's ringing in your head now that there was something that you had seen about it. Yeah um, I just I just can't believe that I never I never legitimately heard it. I don't know how I missed it. I think that that is some kind of news that I would have not missed um, especially with with Chilich. Um I mean Chilich's form was down a little bit late last year, but I still don't think that that would necessarily be the reason that we didn't really it wasn't big news because that pairing was a big deal when it started right
0: and um, it, well it turns out they actually split uh, in the latter stages of July last year. so I, it, you I, know, I,
1: I just don't understand. I how think we what happened
0: that. was I, I think what that. happened was it was after Wimbledon and it was probably leading up to the Olympics and it just and everything that was going on it just got lost. I think a little bit.
1: That's the only thing I can figure shuffle. too, Mike. That's uh, that's definitely a good chance there. I, I completely so, agree. Yeah.
0: Hmm. Um, okay. So as for for the rest of the email here, uh, you, you know, Marina went on to address our topic last week. And beyond just my own headedness when it comes to this topic, I have to apologize for not thinking more clearly as to how divisive and heated this topic can be. Uh, that is my fault. And anybody listening to this podcast can lay this at my feet because I should have been Thinking more clearly, uh, I should have set up parameters for the discussion. I should have kept the the discussion a cool, uh, nice, genteel conversation. I guess um, not lacking in passion, but
1: no, definitely not lacking in passion. It, the problem
0: is that the topic itself is is so divisive, and it was so broad. You know, just by saying who's been the better player this year, that that's too that's too difficult, and it's not a bad question, but given the contentiousness that can exist between Adol and Federer fans, even though I feel like there's a lot more respect now than maybe in years past, just because they're both kind of at the the tail end of their careers, and so you can kind of, if nothing else, give more grudging respect. If you're a you're a fan, you give a lot of respect to Federer and if you're a Federer fan, then you give a lot of respect to Nadal because, you know, they've both made each other better players and they've. And legitimately, Mike, I think you would agree that, that, that
1: even between, especially you and I, um, I think that we are much more level between the two than we used to be. Oh yeah. Um, I mean you, you obviously being a heavy Nadal fan, um, you know, you were always very laden to Nadal at that point, and I on the opposite side was very laden towards Roger. But I think that both of you and I have both gotten to the point now where, yes, we obviously are still going to root for our man, but there's. Uh, more
0: goodwill. There's more goodwill. There's not, yeah,
1: there's, there's, not a, there's not a sharp line drawn anymore in the sand, I guess is a way to put it. Um, there's not an either you are or you aren't mentality. Right. Now, um, I, I believe you know in the discussion you and I had. Marina said that she's very much a Nadal fan and mm-hmm. Federer fan, uh, which, as she said in the podcast or uh, in the email uh, response to our podcast last week, is hard to believe. But um, I think in some instances, um, I guess we're both kind of there now as well. Right,
0: we're, we're you, uh, you, you more now than much more now than we You respect Nadal yes. for what he's done in his career. As a Nadal fan, I respect Roger. For everything he's done, it's just there's a lot more goodwill uh, regarding the other player or players uh, because you can also, you know, include some of the other, you know, Djokovic and, and Murray and stuff. Uh, I think it's easier when they get to the tail end of their careers. You can start to be a little more accepting because their prime's over. You're now just hoping they get that one or two last slam slams before the career's over, and you kind of look at the. The whole rather than just the, the, uh, the little nuts and bolts of their careers you know so uh, but, but anyway I, I mean, I'm kind of rambling on here but I, I want to finish this up so uh, I just want to say I'm sorry you know really this is what this is coming down to is I'm sorry for creating this discussion last week which I didn't uh, think through before i you know started it and had i done so i never would have had the conversation or i would have greatly changed you know the question or i would have you know done it in such a way where the discussion would have been interesting and nuanced and and fun and maybe lighthearted which is probably would have been the better way to go if I was going to tackle that subject matter. Uh, I didn't, however, it was my mistake, and I and we as a as a podcast and as a team, uh, I think we all learned a valuable lesson last week, which is you know how not to have a federal and adult discussion because if you just stick one person in one camp and one person in another camp, in general, and and you know with Michael, I know later on in the podcast you did have. Uh, a discussion with eric and you kind of said hey i'm taking up this side because you're on the dull side and you'd have a counter argument and and all of that and it wasn't and it wasn't even necessarily that it, it was just the fact that uh,
1: m- my biggest thing in the whole discussion was because again as you said it it was a very broad topic uh there was a lot of ways that you could go in 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 on that discussion i looked at it as um There's one very simple way to look at um, the answer to that question, and then there's uh, looking at at any other alternative way. And I felt like um, in most discussions, I think you full well know as well as I do, I I usually try to look at any discussion that we have in a slightly alternate way, um, regardless of who we're talking about. Uh, I try to look at things in a slightly alternative way, which I think brings in more discussion Mm -hmm. between us. Um, more as a, um, let's look at it this way and let's see what the discussion about that is if we look at it this way. Um, and I felt like in the discussion, if, if I didn't look at it in, um, a not so just picture framed way that there wasn't a lot of discussion to be had, uh, which, which again, I, I tried to point out in the podcast, um, last week. Uh, I will sentiment what Mike said, uh, and I will uh, say it as well for Eric. Uh, we definitely are um, feeling very differently about the discussion now. There was a lot of discussion after the podcast. Mm-hmm. Um, after after the, uh, the recording. Uh, recording stopped last week, uh, there was still heavy discussion afterwards. Not in the same way that we were on the podcast, but discussion in terms of um, – why this happened, what happened and there there was actually a little bit of conclusions drawn um, off air last week um, where our point of views kind of meshed a little more uh, after the air, after we went off air. So um, again, I I apologize as well. I apologize uh, from Eric as well. Uh, As you said, Mike, uh, I I spoke with him after the discussion last week and um, and yeah, so we, we hope to uh, have more heated discussions but in a slightly different way uh, going forward and exuding the passion that we all have for right. tennis. Uh,
0: yeah. Uh, okay, Marina. Uh, I guess that's kind of it. Uh, and again, we will strive to make sure that our facts are correct. Uh, we Michael and I talked about this before we started to record uh, in the future and including today. if uh, If something comes up organically in the podcast and like material that we don't have prepared – and if we can't verify something you know, online as we're, we're talking, then we'll just freely admit to it while we're recording. you know. So rather than just guess one way or another, if we don't know, we're just gonna say, we don't know, we can't find the information. And at least you know that we don't know and we're not just blindly guessing. So we're just gonna do that moving forward. And uh, yeah, we'll just strive to make sure as best we can that we have our facts uh, ready to go for the topics we discuss. So, okay. All right, Uh, and I think that's it for the feedback this week. We're going to uh, move into the news now. Michael, I'm going to hand this over to you. Why don't you start out uh, and give us a rundown of uh, the notable things that have happened in the last week?
1: Absolutely, absolutely. Uh, And tennis fans, we are at the end of the grass court season, and we have finally got to the finish line. We are finally to Wimbledon starting tomorrow. Uh, I believe we are less than 12 hours out or, or somewhere around those lines. Uh, so we're, we're definitely getting into the final hours and some of the news leading in. Um, so over last week, uh, there was some news that Venus Williams uh, was in a car crash back in June, which wasn't like big news at that point in time. Uh, but it turns out that, that one of the victims, one of the other people that was in the car crash uh, in the other vehicle has passed since. Um, the family uh, at this point is suing uh venus uh for losses due to the car crash um i think the thought on this is just um what effect might this have on on venus going into wimbledon Uh, obviously this has just sprung up out of the blue um you know things like that uh as far as as far as any actual news we don't have anything further uh on that at this point no other news coming out um novak Djokovic wins in eastbourne um, I think, Mike, you might say that this is a bit of a surprise. We just were surprised to see that he played fairly well, albeit a slightly weaker draw than I think we would have liked to see him and to see where he really is. Um, but also on the Novak front that he hires Mario Ancic as an additional consultant slash coach uh, for Wimbledon. Uh, I know Ancic was a very good grass court player um And Mike, you said that you had read that Ančić and Agassi were actually very good friends on tour while they were no, both playing. No, no,
0: no, I'm joking. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, He and Sorry. Djokovic. I misunderstood. While... misunderstood. Yeah, yes. while Ančić was still playing, as you know, before he ended up retiring in 2011 due to injuries mm-hmm. and and mono. Um, you know, he. There was a spread
1: of that going around for a while. Yeah, wasn't it there? seemed. Seemed like a lot of tennis players had it there for a, a little span. Of well,
0: Söderling had it, and obviously we know that kind of ruined his career, as well. Um, and so Anticich had that. Uh, that was kind of I think the the straw that broke the camel's back with him. Really was getting that that severe case of mono. But uh, when mm-hmm. they were on tour together, they were good friends, and they've remained so since. He's uh, sent or uh, has since gone on and. Uh, got his law degree from I believe Col- you know what I can't say believe uh, oh. <laughs> here we go see you know, I, I looked it up but uh, I think it's Columbia
1: well while you're looking that up in the meantime good good for Ancic uh, it's good to see that he's going on to uh, very good things uh, following yeah. his career especially with his career being Yeah, it's Columbia short.
0: Law School by the way uh, so
1: Columbia Law School. Okay. Okay. So we'll see there. uh, We obviously see that that Djokovic's work with with Agassi has had some positives so far. Uh, Maybe not some of the impact that some people were expecting. uh, But you – what's that saying? You can't build a castle overnight or something like that? I'm not sure how that (laughs) saying goes but um, (laughs) – or something like that. So yeah, we'll see. And with Anchic going in, obviously somebody that Djokovic trusts – and obviously a very good grass court player in his own right. Uh, this could be a, another stepping stone then for Djokovic to continue on his uh, rebuilding phase, maybe, uh, we should say. Carolina um, Pliskova on the women's side, won in Eastbourne. Uh, a tough-fought uh, two-setter, 6-4, 6-4, against Caroline Wozniacki in the final. Um, it was uh, a, a good win for Pliskova. I think we, uh, in our podcast coming up here in our podcast, uh, Uh, Our picks, I think, will probably be in that latter stages of the tournament for both Mm -hmm. of us. Um, There was a lot of talk, Andy Murray, coming into Wimbledon. There was a lot of talk that hip injury might completely sideline him from the tournament. Uh, The last article that I've read today says that Murray says he's ready to go and that the hip will not be an issue. Uh, Mike, have you read anything different than that?
0: Um, No, it it, it seems like there's probably something there. Uh, but he's not going to talk about it just because he doesn't want there to be an excuse made, I think, if he ends up not getting as far into the tournament as he'd like to go, essentially, meaning the final. Absolutely. Um, and so yeah. he's not going to make excuses. Uh, and he's, he's not going to give it more credence than he is already given it. Just by the report existing, it's out there. Uh, whether that came from his camp uh whether that came from a trainer or some other source you know we don't know uh somehow the information got out though that there is some kind of hip issue and uh he's just doing his best i think to say hey i'm not going to use this as an excuse i'm going to go out there and i'm going to do my best you know let the chips fall as they may and that's going to be it but I'm not going to right. let this become right. a well. Andy Murray didn't win Wimbledon because he had a hip issue thing.
1: Right, right. And I think I think we would both agree that that's not the only problem. Uh, but we won't go any further on that. <laughs> uh, Garbine Muguruza still looking to regain form although she played fairly well at the French um, the former French Open champion will start working with Conchita Martinez uh, former champion in her own right at Wimbledon uh, leading into the tournament obviously I think for Muguruza she's looking for uh, just anything to kind of get her over the hump Uh, obviously she's played fairly well but in certain matches she's struggled uh, when she's gotten against the the higher level competition Uh, whether it be going against other big hitters or against counterpunchers. She's had instances where her play has been extremely streaky. So I I think that she's looking for uh, someone to kind of come in, give her some confidence, and maybe give her a little bit different direction. Uh, Did you think something along those lines as well, Mike?
0: Yeah, I mean this is one of those things we're seeing a lot more lately. And and maybe this always went on in the past with players just picking up consultants and – Coaches, I know there were, you know, ye-
1: well, it's probably more predominant in the media now than it used to right, be, right? That's true. Um, that's true, yeah. And I think that's probably the one main reason why we're hearing, hearing so much more about right. it, but I um, think at this point in time, as opposed to before, I think right. that,
0: um, this is just one of those things where players is looking to, you know, get some advice, get some even for just a week or two. Uh, A little fresh blood in their camp, someone to come in and say, hey, here's a different point of view. We know that that really helps out um, when players transition to a new coach, if there's a a good chemistry there. Uh, We've seen how that's worked out with Nadal, with uh, Carlos Moya this year so far, and we've seen good results from in the past with other coaches that have come on board a team and very quickly found a way to have an impact uh boris becker with djokovic obviously we saw that ended up being a very fruitful partnership uh regardless of what advice is being given whether it's just mental uh, psychological advice or whether it's on court, court tactics uh things like that uh, but regardless of of what it is uh, sometimes it really helps out to just have a fresh point of view and i think with Muguruza, she has such a big powerful game she's just looking for somebody to come in and give maybe give her that little extra spark uh to get her to start going out there and doing what she used to do so freely which was swing free at the ball and get, the ball would go in but since she won the French Open last year, she's been so jittery out on court. You know, she it's like the weight of her accomplishments is keeping her from going out there and swinging free. And that's not just talking about the injuries either, you know, that she suffered. So it's like a combination of, I want to slam, now I'm expected to win. And also suffering from injuries. And so maybe... All of that is kind of draining Muguruza mentally a little bit, and maybe someone coming in like Kachita Martinez will give her uh, a little bit of a spark and we'll see a better run of form in the next two weeks.
1: Absolutely, absolutely. Um, So some storylines going into Wimbledon, Um, obviously we had some different news, but storylines, Roger Federer will be going for his eighth Wimbledon title, unprecedented of course uh nadal obviously looking to cement his comeback uh and have a big run here at wimbledon a place where he's had a lot of success uh but had a lot of struggles as well so i think we've talked about it before that you know his form leading into uh the grass court season has been super high and we look for that to probably continue uh but again we will see we are at wimbledon now so um Quiet as always. Stan Rowenka going for the career slam. Um, Mike, this is his second or third try now Mm -hmm. since he uh, won the other three. Is it it his second try now at Wimbledon to to complete the career slam? No, no,
0: no. This is his first try because –
1: Oh, that's right. That's right. He he just got his last one last year. That's right. That's right. So uh, Stan going for the career slam. Uh, We've obviously seen several guys with, uh, with Federer and Nadal doing that. Um, over the last uh, you know, short amount and of years and, and, and Djokovic and so we're obviously looking for Stan to possibly uh, get into that conversation as well. Uh, Djokovic obviously still uh, even though he won last week uh, we, or this week we've got to still say that, that Novak's still looking to return to form and uh, the form that we've seen in the last several years where he has been dominant on all four surfaces um, Andy Murray, of course, uh, who has struggled just as much as Novak has, attempting to uh, see if he can re-cement himself and retain the title and hopefully uh, then make himself as a real legitimate number one uh, going in uh, going you know through Wimbledon. And as we do with every Grand Slam, uh, looking at the next generation, is there someone that can break through, um we've coined the big four, but I still honestly feel like we should leave Stan into that conversation as well, uh, of the big five. Um those are most of the storylines going on the men's side. I think on the women's side it's um it's still up in the air. Uh even after the French open, I would still say that we don't have a clear cut favorite for the surface at this point going through. Um, although in the, the previous podcast I had said I, I still feel that Kvitova is probably um the only person that you could maybe throw in that. Uh, but there's still question marks there with her as well. Um, so we, we will see. Uh, obviously, uh, it's it makes the women's game uh, very exciting to watch uh, because you don't feel that there's that predictability um, from tournament to tournament. Uh, Mike, any any thoughts on any of those storylines?
0: Uh, I guess I'll briefly mention a couple of things here. You know, uh, Nadal Absolutely. having a good run of form here at Wimbledon, it doesn't really matter in a way. I guess, whether he wins or not. I mean, don't get me wrong. If he were to somehow, Mm -hmm. some way, find another Wimbledon title before his career's out, and it happens this year, I mean, that would, it would cap off a remarkable return to the kind of player that we had seen leading up to a couple of years ago, and uh, that would really complete his comeback, uh, really cement, like you said, cement his comeback and, uh, propel him forward and he would definitely I would assume be number one at the, at this point uh, if he won Wimbledon uh, Roger going for number eight would be fantastic for him obviously we know what uh, an eighth Wimbledon title would mean it would be his first since 2012 uh, he's had a couple of chances leading into this year since then and uh, Djokovic has managed to uh, beat him in both occasions Cycling. stifling um, <laughs> I think it would be the worst. You know, Djokovic looking for a return to form yeah that that small tournament win was great for him, uh, but he also knows that, that the caliber of player he was facing probably wasn't anything like he needs to uh, prepare for when he goes into Wimbledon. I mean, facing Gael Monfils in the final isn't the same as facing, you know... Any of the right. other big four. I mean... Or the other exactly. big five, you know. Um, uh, yeah, so Murray looking to, to kind of legitimize his number one ranking, I think... You know, is he number one? Yes. Does does he deserve to be there? Yes. But at the same time, he came into the season as number one, and the results haven't been great. He had a semifinal run at Roland Garros, and that was nice to see. But he needs he needs something to really hang.
1: It still wasn't yeah. a positive run to the semifinal, though. I mean, it wasn't it wasn't easy. He didn't look like he was still in great form. No. Um, I think you would agree that a lot of those matches he he was out there searching still uh to try to find it. Whatever it is that he needs, he was still looking for. Yeah, it. he was he was
0: gutting him out um, and he so he's looking for that title to really hang his hat on. And um Absolutely. And then the next gen. You know, there's a lot of guys that are banging on the doors, young guys twenty five and, and under who are all looking for you know, that first big title. Uh, we've been saying it for the last couple of years. This next generation has got to crack through or break through the 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 big uh, four, big five uh, barrier. And it's going to happen at some point. Uh, I think it's going to happen sooner rather than later. Will it happen here? I'm not really sure if that's going to be the case. But I think there's as good a chance as any because there are some really, really big giant killers in this draw that are young guys. So, you know, we'll see what happens, uh, moving forward, but it, it, there's potential. So let's see what happens.
1: Absolutely. All right. Absolutely. So
0: I guess, should we go into the men's side, uh, and start? Yeah, let's get to the bread and all butter right.
1: here, uh, or the meat and potatoes, uh, yep. for that matter. Uh, all right. So, uh, men's picks, uh, we've, we've historically, uh, the last, uh, two slams, I believe, Done uh, or final picks uh, on the men's side. Uh, then I, uh, Mike, are we going to go? You want to go the whole way through the final? Right. Uh, do you have Do you have the whole final ready yeah, to go? I'm ready. <laughs> okay. All right. Then that's that's what we'll go with. Um, I'll first off start off with Eric since he sent in uh, his feedback to me. Um, I do not have a complete draw from him, but I do have his quarter final picks uh, with a little bit of detail. Uh, so in the top quarter. Uh, he has Andy Murray against Sam Querrey. Uh, he believes that uh, that Murray will uh, slowly begin to, to uh, regain his form uh, and possibly, as we said, cement himself back into the, the, uh, the discussions. And he believes that Sam Querrey, because he does play well on grass, uh, will regain form as he did at Wimbledon last year and uh, as he did at the beginning of this year. Uh, in the second quarterfinal, uh, he has Rafael Nadal against Marin Cilic. Uh, he believes that Nadal will continue with the confidence that he's had from this year's uh, impressive play uh, and that Cilic-, Cilic will continue to impress uh, with the form that he's had in the last few months where he has basically served lights out. Uh, the third uh, quarterfinal, uh, Roger Federer against Milos Raonic. Uh Federal, uh, he says, he, his exact words are fed rolls to quarterfinal, uh, <laughs> and uh, Raonic will pull the con- pull uh, from the confidence he had in making the final last year to get back uh, in the discussion with the uh, subpar play that he has had so far this year. Uh, in the fourth quarterfinal, he has Novak Djokovic against Tomas Burdich. Uh, he believes that Djokovic will uh, muscle his way through to the quarterfinals uh, and just just try to basically outwork guys to get there. Um, and he believes that on Burdich's side, that Burdich is not necessarily ready to be out of the discussion and that he believes that he is still in a position to hold off the young guns uh, that, that are in his section. Uh, so, Mike, do you, uh, you want to go first then uh, with your quarter final picks?
0: Uh, yeah, actually. Um, I think – my well, so in my first quarter – I actually have, I have.
1: We discussed this. You said that uh, I said that you went out on a limb a little bit. Right. Here. I was I was surprised when we first uh, talked about. it right. So picks. in the top
0: quarter, which is where Andy Murray, Andy Murray's at, um, I have him actually losing. Um, not in the first round, but he's going to lose relatively early. It's going to be uh, Nick Kyrgios uh, taking out uh, Joe Wilfred Zonga. Zonga. Uh, so so Kyrgios would be the winner coming out of the top portion of uh, the draw in the second quarter is going to be Nadal taking out Gilles Mueller. So uh, Gilles Mueller being a lefty, uh, that's a really great thing. If you're at Wimbledon, uh, it's a really great thing if you're a lefty in general, regardless of surface, but at Wimbledon with that slider outside and it, it, with Mueller, he's a big guy. He's like what? He's like six, four or six, five. Mike,
1: Mike, I actually, I actually think that there's a slight mistake in the draw. Uh, Nadal would be slated to play Gilles Muller in the fourth round. (laughs) Oh, right. I I, I did not Uh, catch that prior to the – yeah. That would be Nadal over Muller in the fourth round. Um, Let's see. And that that bottom section there would be uh, Nishikori, Batista Agut, Steve Johnson, and Marin Cilic are the four seeds uh, in that bottom quarter. So you would have Nadal in the quarters, and he would go against more than likely one of those four. Yeah.
0: Okay, yeah, um, you're right. You're right. You so, sorry guys, I apologize. That's that's totally my fault. <laughs> Marina, you can send me in some <laughs> hate mail uh, for that. Send him hate yep. mail, Marina. Send him all right. Hate so, um, in that case, it's gonna be it's gonna be Nadal. I think taking out Chilich, if that's gonna be the case. Okay. So, um, the third quarter is. Uh, f- Federer taking out Alexander Zverev and right. in the fourth quarter it'll be Juan Martín Del Potro taking out Richard Gasquet
1: any any uh, additional to add to any of those any specific um, reasonings on those or are you just, well, just kind of your gut feeling I know I had talked to you that I, I struggled feeling this for uh,
0: okay so before uh, I go any further I'm just going to say this On both the men's side and the women's side, I I struggled and looked over and contemplated these draws more than any other so far this year. Uh, I sat for like an hour just looking over the draw on the men's side alone. Just going up and down, looking at all the matchups, thinking about how the matchups would play out, looking at past um, appearances at Wimbledon, looking at their current run of form all that and so,
1: I think I have nine different times I crossed the name off and right. switched
0: it, it, this has been uh, this on is, mine yeah. and that was just on this the mental. this has been very, very so. difficult uh, so as for my thoughts on these so the reason I picked Kyrgios over Zonga, and the reason I have him coming out of the top is I know Kyrgios is mercurial and you never know really what you're going to get with him but with his serve alone he's an absolute beast if you tack on his athleticism and then his ground strokes, could he be a future Wimbledon champion? I have no doubt. Absolutely. He could easily be Absolutely. a Wimbledon champion. Now, the mental side is always going to be the big question mark, but we've seen what he can do this year when he's motivated and ready to go. Whether he's actually motivated and ready to go, we're not going to know until we actually see him out on court. So I'm going to go under the assumption that he is ready to play Wimbledon, that he's ready to, to fight for a championship. Uh, if I don't think that, then I'm never going to pick the guy. So i gotta, I got to go under the assumption that he is motivated. So I think he, in, in Zonga's on the tail end of his career, I, th- I think in a lot of ways his best years are behind him. He's getting a lot more of those nagging injuries as his career hits the, the, the true back nine portion Mm -hmm. so i feel like i completely agree zonga will will fall to Kyrios. uh nadal i I feel like if he can get through the first week as that grass begins to wear down as it turns more and more into a clay court in a way uh it's gonna be to his benefit Uh, we've seen once he gets through that first week he often makes a very deep run so if and and his other than uh, uh catching off is that right is that Kachanov? Kachinov. Other than yeah. who could be somebody that he might struggle with early on, his road to a deep run is not that bad. It really isn't.
1: It's it's not. He His quarter is loaded with big servers, yeah. which can be his downfall. We know that that is something he struggles with on grass against the big hitters and the big right. servers. Um, so. I agree with you. I think that he will be battle tested if he can get through that right. first week. Um,
0: um, as for uh, Roger Federer, honestly, I really struggled with this because you talk about big servers in the Dolls' quarter, and there's a lot of big servers in Federer's quarter too. That includes Reinich and it also includes John Isner. So, um, and yes. there's there's a few other guys in there that are no slouches either. So, you know, nope, this, this is th- true.
1: You got Misha yeah. Zverev, who we know is going to mm-hmm. volley. And the grass is suited for so, that, uh, right. and of course he has uh, what we've called his mirror image, Grigor Dimitrov, um, that he could possibly meet right. as well um, early on. So
0: it's going to be a tough one. Um, so I, I, agree. I feel like it's going to be fetter, but I, I, I could also see him losing to a big server. You know, if if it's him against Isner out there, you, you never know because no one, no one likes mm-hmm. to face Isner. But no one likes to face him at Wimbledon, <laughs> so no, because um, you know that it's going to be a yeah.
1: long day, in most circumstances. Yeah. And so you know, you know, unless he's having a bad serving mm-hmm. day, you're going to have to grind through sets, and it's going to take a right. while. It's it's not going to be a you know two hours and you're off the mm-hmm. court in all likelihood. Uh,
0: Del Potro over Gasquet, I just I feel like Del Potro is finally ready to kind of make another really great run again. And I know he hasn't played a ton of grass court tennis, but his game, as big as it is with that serve and that forehand and for as good a mover as he is for a guy his size, uh, I think there's a good chance if he's healthy and he's playing well out there, he could be a real nightmare for every player on that side of the draw. Um, So I I feel like that's why... think that Del Potra is going to get through, and I think that's why everybody I kind of mentioned is winning is going to really make a decent run, you know, coming out of the quarters. Right. Uh, right. Semifinals, uh, I'm picking Kyrgios over Nadal. Um, I think if, if Kyrgios gets to this point, and if he's healthy, and he hasn't played a ton of long matches, he's going to go against one of the ultimate tests, and we know Nadal will never give him an inch, but... Mm-hmm. With that serve and with the increased confidence, I think at this point in the tournament, I've, just I fire feel power. like his firepower will basically rip through just about anybody. Um, so I think he makes it through Nadal. I think uh, Federer makes it through Juan Martin Del Potro. I could see a real tough, hard-fought five-setter even you know, between those two. Uh, we've seen it before. And then uh, in the final, I honestly I flip flop back and forth. It was so hard. First, I had Federer winning. Then I had Kyrgios winning. And then I had Federer winning again. Ultimately, I picked Kyrgios. And I, 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 you could almost flip. What was the deciding factor? What was the deciding? It, it factor? was you know what it is. It's Kyrgios' to serve. Barring yeah. a bad serving day, like you said, with like Isner, for instance, it's the combination of that ridiculous serve. Exceptional athleticism, youth, youth, uh, can't get past youth, um, and just general firepower off of both wings, especially on that forehand side. So for me, uh, I'm picking curios as crazy as it sounds, and I know it probably won't happen, but I feel like given a chance, Curios could do something special. We know he has the ability, but we just got to see him commit and and fight through the nerves and fight through all of that mental whatever he's got going on. If he can do that, he can come out a champion out of Wimbledon. And so, as crazy as it sounds, I'm picking him uh, over Roger Federer in the final of Wimbledon.
1: Okay. All right. Do uh, you got a scoreline? Did you throw together a scoreline for the at all? final? You're, you're saying you're saying four tiebreaks, right? And then <laughs> and then a fifth set. Whatever, that will end up. Uh,
0: I have it as a five-setter. I have it as a five-setter with Curious winning 11-9 in the fifth.
1: You know, if if this would come to fruition, Mike, I would call you forever the greatest ever. Um, Because I think that would be amazing to see. Even though it would obviously kill me to see Roger lose that deep into a fifth. I actually think that that would be amazing and I would I would buy tickets to watch that. That would be amazing. It would be amazing
0: for tennis um, if it yeah.
1: It would be and 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 again this is something although we want to see our guys get through we're still tennis fans first. I mean it's it's all about the big matches and it doesn't have to include our guy for us to enjoy it. Um fan, so so to any of the fans listening that that feel the same way, we're right on board with you on that one. Um you know, Mike, we talked about the – right before the podcast about the draws and I said you went out on a limb. Well, you know, I just thought about it. I kind of did too. What if I told you that only two of the big five will make it to the quarterfinals in my draw? Ooh,
0: that's impressive.
1: Um, yeah. So my top section, uh, I have Luca Puy beating Murray in the fourth round and getting to the quarterfinals where surprisingly he will play Fernando Verdasco in the quarterfinals uh, Pui Verdasco in the first quarterfinal um, Verdasco has had really good form, Pui has played well this year, he's lost some tough matches um, I, I don't I feel like the only reason I didn't go with Kyrios instead of Pui is I just don't know physically and mentally where Kyrios is at right now I completely agree with you that he has all the firepower in the world to be able to do it I just don't know physically and mentally with the things that he's gone through um, You know, over the last like We'll say four months that he's quite ready to make that deep run yet but I could be wrong uh, and I actually ha- I have Luca Pui beating Verdasco to get to the semifinal in the top top area there um, in my second quarter uh, I have Nadal defeating Gilles Muller in the second quarter final Muller's form has been amazing this year uh, and he has been extremely dominant on grass uh, making a, a couple finals and winning one um, as I said, through that huge section of servers, um, and in the bottom, uh, there I have him going against, uh, Marin Cilic, uh, beating Batista Gut to get to the quarterfinals there. So, uh, Pui, I have losing to Verdasco or, or beating Verdasco and I have Marin Chilich beating Nadal, uh, in the, in that top, uh, the, the top section, um, Third quarter, uh, I have Alexander Zverev against Roger Federer uh, in a a rematch of what we see – what we saw just uh, uh, within the last week or two. Um, I still believe that uh, even though it's on a different stage, I feel like Federer is still going to to win, although I think it's going to be much more difficult than it was in the final there a couple weeks ago. Um, And then the last quarter, I have Richard Gasquet. Uh, I, I like that you went on the same lines as me with Gasquet. Uh, but I actually have Feliciano Lopez uh, as a surprise entry in the quarterfinals, uh, beating Djokovic in the fourth round. Um, so again, I'll go. I'll go back through. I have Pui Verdasco, Nadal, Chilich, Zverev, Federer, and Gasque Lopez. Um, I have Pui beating Verdasco uh, in the top quarterfinal. Uh, I have Marin Chilich defeating Nadal in the second quarterfinal. I have Federer beating Zverev in the third quarterfinal, uh, and I have Gasquet getting back to the semifinals, which he has made that stage several times now, I believe. Uh, Correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe he has made the semifinals before at Wimbledon, has he not?
0: Uh, Let me double check.
1: Yeah, check on that for me, but I do believe Gasquet has made runs deep into Wimbledon many, many times. Uh, but I see him getting back to the semi-finals. Uh, so my semis, I have Luka Pui and Marin Chilich on the top section. Uh, I have Marin Chilich winning there and getting to uh, the Wimbledon final, riding that big serve of his. Um, basically the similar philosophy that you had with Kyrgios. I just have Chilich in that position. Uh, and I have Federer-Gasquet in the bottom section. Uh, and I do have Federer beating Gasquet uh, just because they, they've – Federer has never really struggled with Gasquet too much uh, in his career, although I don't believe they've played that many times. Uh, and let me confirm that as well. But I don't believe that they have played too often the, uh, in
0: their the, career. There's two semifinal showings by Gasquet, one in 07 and one in 2015 at Wimbledon. Okay, okay.
1: So you see my yeah. point there then. Um, but basically, um, I, again, I, I haven't – I haven't, uh, Federer has a 15 and two record against Gasquet. Um, now again, we know Roger has a a winning record against most people. Uh, there's not too many, but Federer's only two losses that he had against Gasquet were on clay, which is Roger's worst surface. So, uh, Federer beating Gasquet. Um, and I have, uh, Federer winning the title. I I know that this will sound very biased. I know. Uh, but I have Federer beating Chilich in four very close sets Uh, My scoreline, I went uh, 7-6, 5-7, 6-4, 7-6 in four very close sets. Um, But honestly, if Chilich is still riding the wave with his serve, um, I feel the same way that you do, Mike. Uh, My draw, although slightly different, is very similar in that we had a big server riding his way to the final, as you did with Kyrios, and I did with Chilich. I just – I went back and forth. Like I said, I have crosses – Crossouts all through my draw, um, and I almost actually did a second draw just to uh, clean it up. I almost did, but I didn't. Um, so I, I took Federer and four very, very close sets uh, against Chilich in the final. Um, any any final thoughts on the men's draw before we uh, we skip forward?
0: Uh, yeah, sure. I mean, look, if I were a betting man, a true betting man, I would probably go with Roger just because
1: we're not betting men though right. we're not betting uh, men
0: we've talked but we about have this. to look at it like <laughs> on one hand you you would say we'll just pick Roger because the chances are he's going to win it he's motivated he's playing great this year we know how good he is on grass it, you know the same way you pick
1: there's a lot of roadblocks there right, for right but it will not the be the same easy. way that we
0: pick um, we would pick Nadal on clay at the French Open as we did mm-hmm. you would think naturally just okay fine move over to grass Roger gets the nod, pick Roger, end of story. But there are still a lot of... But but Grass is different.
1: Grass is a different surface, There's a lot of great
0: players, or put it this way, there's a lot of players whose games match up so well with Grass as a surface. You know, the big servers, uh, guys with huge ground strokes, they're going to inflict lethal damage at Wimbledon. Uh, You don't even have to be a particularly great mover to win Wimbledon as we've seen in no, the past. No. So just by having a massive serve and a big forehand, that's all you really need. And it may be a little bit of luck uh, on occasion, but it can be done. And and so just being a great defensive player doesn't mean you're going to outlast the other guy. Sometimes he's going to hit right through you with that big forehand or big backhand or booming serve. You know, whether it's Ivan winning Wimbledon or Boris Becker winning Wimbledon or Pete with his serve. Um,
1: or or Pat, Pat Rafter. Pat Rafter well.
0: getting to, to the final against uh, Ivan Uh You know, we've seen guys with massive serves and big games make huge runs and win Wimbledon. So just saying Roger's the best grass court player of his generation and, you know, he pulled him right up next to Sampras is maybe, you know, the best ever, which is a certainly a valid, uh, opinion that doesn't just mean that Roger is going to win because of that, you know? So
1: absolutely. I completely yeah. agree.
0: So anyway, that's just it. And you know, it's going to be a great tournament. There's going to be upsets, <laughs> you know, uh, which is why we're not just picking the, the, the top four or five guys and saying, Hey, these guys are going to make it through because every year there's going to be upsets you know one of the top two or three guys are going to fall early somebody's going to fall early someone's going to have a shock upset maybe it's Nadal one year or you know Djokovic last year we've seen Roger get upset early before we've seen Murray get upset early before it it just it happens you know so it's just
1: uh yeah i mean I, I, there's there's a lot of very popcorn matches in the first round even um one that I actually struggled with, uh, Mike. Uh, I only bring up because you had Del Potro going pretty deep to, uh, to the semifinal, I believe, on yours. Um, I crossed out twice that I had him losing to Kokonakis in the first round hmm. uh, between him and Del Potro. I, I flip flopped that four times before I had Del Potro getting through. Um, you know, stuff like that. Like it, there, there are so many very tough matches. Um, Another one that a name that we've been talking about for the last three months that that neither of us brought up was Dominic Team. Neither of us, I I would assume that you didn't have him going that no. far either. I I I I, I have Team losing in the first round.
0: Yeah, he he's he's best surfaces Clay. We know that, and I'm not saying that he can't eventually be. But he's it's not, not there, there right yet. now, and he needs to no, alter his no. game and his style of play on, on grass like everyone does uh but i think mm-hmm. for him it's more of an adjustment right now because with the clay he's able to really take his time to wind up and rip and you can't do that on grass you have to shorten your ground strokes yeah you don't right, have, you don't that, have time. that time it, it skids don't have the time. on the grass no. so i feel like team maybe in a couple of years but but not right now
1: yeah uh did you did you have any um Like matches that you point that you looked at in the draw and circled, and was like, I need to watch that match in the first round.
0: Yeah, actually, I I want to take a look at uh, Francis TFO uh, versus Hase. Um, That is uh, in the upper portion of the draw. That is a, a matchup I'm looking at because I'm looking at the future, and I've watched TFO play a handful of times now. And I that, have as well.
1: I've I've, I've seen he, several matches. This he year
0: reminds week. me of curious. If you watch him play, he's got a nice serve. It's not as big, maybe or as lethal. No, no, but no. But no, no. he's got a nice uh, top spin forehand with a ton of pace and a lot of shape to it. Uh, he's got a, a <laughs> good flat backhand. He's a good mover. He's a, you can tell he's a really good athlete. Uh he's yeah. one of those guys I could see in a year or two steadily climbing his way up into, you know, the top 25 in the world, you know. He's a young guy, he's only I, I believe what, 19?
1: Uh yes. I don't I do not believe he is out of the teenage yeah. he's, uh, stage. He's he's 19
0: years old. He turned 19 in January. Yeah. So he's yeah. a young guy with a ton of potential, a lot of upside, and I know he and uh Juan well, Martin Del Potro are, I think, friends, good friends. They're, they're very – they seem very close. Um, yeah. So I, that's a matchup that I want to see, the Hase matchup, because he's such a big ser- – he's a big server. Um mm-hmm. So I'd like to I'd like to see that. I'm also looking at uh, Dimitrov early on against uh, Schwarzman. Yeah. Uh, just because Schwartzman's such a good mover I'm not saying he's necessarily a great grass court player but I feel like uh, he's one of those never say die kind of players he could like claw and scrape and push you know Dimitrov to a five setter just in lieu of his of his uh, just inherent grinding style of play so that to me is a matchup and I also want to see Taylor Fritz you know again another American young guy he's I think 19 or 20 as well um
1: yeah, I, I actually pointed that matchup out. Uh, Taylor Fritz drew yep. John Isner in the first round. Um, and I actually commented to my wife last night when I was doing the draw. I said, "I, it's really unfortunate because, you know, Fritz is still trying to gain traction. And who could be worse to face in the first round to try to gain traction than John Isner? Um, Fritz isn't exactly a great returner yet. But again, like you said, he's young. He's very young. Yeah. Um, and i i i did point that one out to my wife as well that you know that could be a really good match um fritz fritz is tactically i think starting to put things together um as far as the game plans when he goes into matches i think he's starting to um he's starting to develop the ability to really turn the gears in 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 your head during a match and, and really be able to make those adjustments now on the fly whereas um you know prior he You know, when he would get in bad situations, it it was pretty much done and over with um, in some of the matches that he's had on tour so far. But you can see that he's really made the concerted effort, you know, between the years that he's looking now uh, to make those subtle changes while he's on court and while he's in, you know, midpoint. Like, you can see that. I I think you would agree with that with with Fritz. Yeah,
0: yeah. He's still got some growing to do. I think he needs to put more meat on his bones. Um, He still seems like a very skinny guy. And I feel like he needs to put a little more muscle. Um, obviously, mm-hmm. you don't want to in, in, uh, inhibit his ability to move uh, around the court, but at the same time, if I was going to pinpoint, for instance, an issue that Alexander Zverev has, it's also you can tell his legs need more muscle. You know, uh, when you look at
1: yeah, I, I feel like deep into matches, his legs can get a bit tired. Right. On him. Uh, I definitely, I definitely don't feel as though and i think zverev um, since you're bringing him up i think that yeah if he would beef beef up the legs a little bit i think he could actually make a even bigger impact with his serve than he does now um right. because he you know he does use his legs in his serve but i don't think that he uses them as much because i think he knows that he needs to save them for you know the point to point rallies right. um and i think he could i think he could squeeze more out of his serve uh, if he's able to do that, I
0: also I also I think the Feder-Dolgopolov match is going to be interesting. Uh, that, that's a bit of a tough matchup, I think, for Roger. Not that I'm early round. I definitely agree. It's more or less because Dolgopolov's style of play is very tricky, and he never gives you a rhythm. And his style is no. so unconventional and weird that um, I'm not saying he's a necessarily a great crass court player, but it's just. It's just one of those players that you don't like to play.
1: Right, I think I think a lot of guys on tour say that. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, I completely agree with you there. Um, a couple that I had pointed out uh, in my mind, um, Misha Zverev and Bernard Tomic, in the first round. We know that Tomic plays very well on grass. Obviously, we'll see if he shows up, but I think. Um, His counter-punching style against Severo's relentless serve-and-volley attack uh, could be an interesting matchup. Um, And then uh, the old guard match is what I'm going to call it. Richard Gasquet and David Ferrer in the first round. Uh, That could go on for days. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I obviously have Gasquet getting through just because of his grass court prowess, but I think that that one could be amazing. Uh, Borna Korich and Ryan Harrison in the first round, uh, two young, uh, pretty big hitters. I think that that could be a very uh, good matchup, especially because stylistically they're very much the same. I, I think it'll just be come down to a you know a few different things, um, although I believe I had Torch going through. Um, I pointed it out already, Del Potro and Kokonakis. Um, I, I don't think that you're, for a first-round matchup, going to – put a whole lot more firepower on the court than those two um, don't believe there was a whole lot more than that Verdasco although I have him going deep gets Kevin Anderson in the first round that will not be an easy match um, one that he could very easily lose as you know we know that Kevin Anderson is a game player against anybody especially with his big serve uh, would have the ability to pretty much you know Put a halt to anything going on um i believe that was it oh no um my pick for the most difficult match for a seed in the first round marin cilic against philip kohlschreiber in the first round uh i don't know if you saw that one or not mike but um i circled that as my toughest opening
0: round match for a seated player. Um, I have to agree with that because Cole Schreiber is one of the better all-around players on tour. He's got a, a complete game. He's got an excellent backhand. He's got a big forehand. Uh, he's got a good serve. He's kind of one of those guys, if I was to grade each one of his weapons, whether it's a serve, forehand, backhand movement, they all get like a B or a B B+. You know, like, there's really no weaknesses to his game. Uh, so you've got to be careful because um, you, you can't really attack a whole lot. Now, he is getting a little older right. now. You know, he is in his 30s, I believe. So that yes. that's a bit of yes. a factor. But in general, he's one of those guys. I, I saw him play against Andy Murray early in the year against, uh, what was that? That was that tournament. Um, I can't. I can't remember if it was Qatar or if it was – it's going to bug me. Can you look that up for me while I talk?
1: Absolutely. I'm, I'm okay. already working so on it.
0: So he was facing Murray. Murray hadn't played particularly well at that point. And I want to s- – uh, That was Dubai. in Dubai okay. at the beginning Dubai. of the year.
1: Yep. Dubai. Uh, they went three sets. Cole Schreiber winning the first set and Murray winning the second twenty eighteen in a tie yeah, break.
0: One of the, it, it, uh,
1: the and then and then Cole Schreiber completely went away in the third.
0: Right, uh, uh, I watched that match live. It was the best mm-hmm. tie break I've ever seen in my life. Uh, hands down.
1: And that's the ability that Cole Schreiber. He has. was ripping I mean,
0: Michael, he was ripping winners everywhere. I'm talking like, like
1: And he has that ability, and that's mm-hmm. why I say that although I think Chilich is is going to make a very deep run, that is an extremely tricky first round. With a guy that has the ability to hit any shot from anywhere, Uh, Cole Schreiber is amazing at hitting angles, um, forehand or backhand side, and he's a great volleyer. Uh, He's not afraid to come in, and I think if Chilich isn't on, that could be an upset special, as Brad Gilbert would say.
0: (laughs) Okay. Uh, I guess that's it for the the men's side. We'll do a wrap up thoughts here towards the end if we want to add more about the men's side of the draw. Uh, Michael, why don't we absolutely. transition into the women's side? So
1: absolutely, absolutely. So um, on the women's side, uh, again, we talked about you know leading in that there was there's still a lot of uncertainty, um, and I think when I did my draw, I think that that uncertainty continued, um, although. I still don't feel a whole lot different than I did last week uh, leading through the draw. I'll just say that. Um, On the women's side, first quarterfinal, um, I have Lucy Safarova uh, against Christina McHale in the quarterfinal. I know that probably to any casual fan you would say, what? What are you talking about? Um, But I I think that there's a lot of uncertainty uh, at this point in the women's game. I still don't feel that Kerber um is going to write the ship although I feel like she could pick up a few wins here because she does play so well on grass but I definitely don't think that it's going to be fixed at this point. Um the second quarter final I have Carolina Pliskova uh against Caroline Wozniacki in a rematch of this week's final. Um on the bottom half uh I have Venus Williams against Madison Keys uh in in the, in the third quarter final. Uh, and in the fourth quarterfinal, I have Petra Kvitova against Simona Halep uh, in the bottom section. Um, again, I had lots of crossouts leading to these picks, uh, but it, and it, this is basically what I settled on. Um, in back to the first quarterfinal, I have Lucy Safarova getting to the semifinal over McHale. Uh, I think that her confidence uh, in working her way back uh, on the single side... And the fact that that top section is a little bit weak as far as grass court uh, players, uh, I get Safarova getting through. Um, and on the bottom section, although Plishkova just beat Wozniaki, still, I'm still i still going to go with Wozniacki into the semifinal um, over Plishkova. I just think that on this big stage that Wozniacki is going to find a way. Uh, obviously, this last final that they just had was very close uh, 6-4, 6-4 final. Uh, I just feel like for some reason, um, you know, on that big stage, that Wozniacki will find a way. Uh, in the third quarterfinal, I have Madison Keys, as you did, Mike, uh, getting through into the semifinals, uh, beating Venus Williams. And I have uh, Petra Kvitova over Simona Halep in the fourth quarterfinal. Um, I just, I just feel at this point that she's the only person that you can, in my mind, and I know I've been saying this for weeks, I, I still feel that. On grass right now, Kvitova is the only uh, – as long as she's healthy, the only guarantee on grass right now uh, in my mind. Uh, in the in the top section, I have Wozniacki over Safarova in the semifinal uh, with Wozniacki getting to a Wimbledon final. Um, this was something uh, I know that Yumi and Eric talked about at the French that we really thought that that might have been her opportunity. I think that she'll get another chance uh, here at Wimbledon. Uh, and I have Petrovic Kvitova beating Madison Keyes in the semifinals uh, in the bottom section. I just think that Keyes game, just it's so high risk that, as we've talked about, she sometimes does not know how to take her foot off the pedal. And I think that uh, with Kvitova playing as well as she does on grass, she has the ability to make you push even more on your own serve. And push too much on hers because she can go through games very quickly. Um, I, I just picked Kvitova there. And although I really, really wanted to go with Wozniacki to win the tournament, I went with Petra Kvitova. Uh, having a, the completion of her comeback from, uh, as we talked about, the tragic story that has happened with her. Uh, I have her coming back and writing the story, uh, the fairy tale story, and winning Wimbledon. Um I had a scoreline of 7-5, uh, 6-4 in the final. Um, Mike, I didn't talk to you about the women's draw at all prior to the start of the podcast uh, too much, so uh, wow me. Give me something here.
0: Okay, give me my picks. All right. For, uh, for the top uh, of the draw, the first quarter, I am ha- I have uh, uh, Ekaterina Makarova taking out Lucy Savarova. Um, oh. I have... Uh, second quarter, I have Karolina uh, Pliskova Plushkova defeating Coco Vanderway. Okay. Uh, third quarter, Madison Keys uh, defeating uh, I don't Sabine is it Sabine Lisicki?
1: Sabine Sabine was,
0: okay. that's correct. I Wasn't sure if I got that correct. That's okay. Correct. And the fourth quarter, I have Petra Kvitova defeating Simona Halop
1: So we got one out of four <laughs> correct uh, between right. the two of us uh, that we picked. So
0: I okay. have. Uh, Carolina Plushkova defeating um, Ekaterina Makarova in the semifinals, and I have Madison Keys defeating Petra Kvitova, and I have Madison Keys. Or no, am I correct there?
1: No, I believe that you were going oh, with uh, Keys losing to uh, Pliskova in the final. I think is the notes that I. Oh, I re- okay. There. I,
0: I typed, Sorry, I typed that out wrong. <laughs> yep. Yeah. So well, what did I have there?
1: Um, Let me see here. Give me one sec. I believe that you you had Pliskova over Keys in the final. I believe is what you were going with. But I could be wrong. You may have had No, no, no. I'm sorry.
0: No, I'm sorry. It's uh, Madison Keys defeating Pliskova in the final. Sorry. That's my fault. So you did go with Keys over Pliskova. That's right. The reason I I think this is because I I feel like one of these days – Madison Keys is gonna. It's just gonna come right, together, and, and we've seen her close before. There was the Australian Open from a few years ago where she faced Serena, and
1: and sadly was injured and going in. in her, she gave yeah.
0: Serena all she could handle, uh, and I remember even saying if if she didn't have that injury, Madison Keys would have she won wins. that. Would have won that match. Um,
1: absolutely we we talked about that many times afterwards because i believe i believe i remember that she was
0: cranking you know 100 mile mile per hour forehands and you know 100 120 plus uh serve so you know she has a huge game and she's a pretty good mover and she's a good athlete and so we know that the problem is like you said Mm -hmm. consistency but it wimbledon You don't have to be quite so consistent because if you have the big game, you can play first strike tennis. If you have the serve, you've got 50% of what you need. You don't have to worry about being able to to keep, you know, eight, 10 ball rallies because for the most part, you don't have those. So I feel like with a giant serve like she has, and yes, I do realize that Pliskova also has a big serve you know you're talking about two guys in the two women sorry in the final who are going to be pitting against one another massive serves big bombs coming right down the tee and out wide but I feel like Keys has the the bigger serve she's got the biggest weapons she's got a bigger forehand I think than Pliskova does and so I think that that great athleticism and that serve is going to carry her through to a, a win and I think Pushkova is just gonna come short, come up short once again. That's why I feel like that's gonna happen. As for the other matches that I that I picked here, I'm sorry for typing that uh, that somehow found out wrong here.
1: No, that's okay. Um, that's okay. That's okay. Like I said, I I, I just briefly glanced over it uh, as we yeah. were starting. Yeah. So, so
0: the Makarova, uh, you know, Makarova is playing pretty well this year overall. And I know Lucy Safarova is uh, – she's a, a good veteran. She's intelligent. We know that she's won a bunch of doubles titles. Uh,
1: Speaking of, that was one thing I was going to bring up quickly. Safarova and Maddox Sands will be going for their fourth slam right. in a row uh, here at Wimbledon. I know we don't – uh, and it's something we're working on, fans, just so you know. Uh, we are working on starting to incorporate doubles into our podcasts a little right. bit more. we do. We do want um, to do that. We we are we, we promise that uh, for the doubles fans out there, we are working on that. That is something that we're starting to work into um, our scheduling on our podcast. and something that we definitely want to start incorporating yep. more uh, because, hey, doubles are important. Yep. They are they really important. are. Um, they are important. And I think that that was one reason I picked Sapphire over to go so far. I think that Although she's going to play a lot of tennis this the, the, over the next two weeks, I honestly think that she looks at it as it's a confidence mm-hmm. thing. And her and Sands, I actually have her and Maddox Sands playing each other in the fourth round in the singles, okay. which they have done before, and they've still won the doubles. So, <laughs> um, so I just think that uh, it's a confidence thing, and I feel like uh, when her and, and Sands are playing well, um, they both then play well on grass – or not on not on grass, but any surface. I think they play confidently. Uh, we saw Sands at the French play very confidently. Um, and that was, I think, a product on her side of the confidence that she's bringing from the doubles right. court. And I think Safarova is the same way. And, I, and I, I looked at Safarova because she is a good grass court player that that could propel her a little bit further. And that's why, again, I, I pushed her so far in my draw. Um, but, I, but I completely agree that uh, doubles is something that we're working on and uh, that we promise in the future we will get yes. in there uh, at some point. But uh, back, back to your draw. Uh, Sorry. That's
0: fine. <laughs> um. You know, Plushkova over Coco Vandewey, you know, obviously we know that Coco's got a ton of power. She's got a big serve and and big ground strokes. And and when she's on, when she's really on, like we saw her at the Australian Open this year, uh, she can take out anybody, period. Um, But I think Plushkova's got big weapons and uh, she's the kind of player that can – she can blow Coco off the court if Coco isn't playing at the top of her game. And I I just feel like she'll have enough to get past her – uh, Madison Keys over um, Lysicki in the third quarter. I, I you know, she well Lysicki was a finalist a few years back, and yes. so
1: it's been plagued with injuries. Right. And
0: so we know she has the talent, but uh, again, Madison's got too many big weapons. I feel like she would, she would. I don't know that she would maybe blow her off the court, but she has the potential to really do that. And I, and I feel like she'll find a way to get past her and Kavitova past Halep. I think Halep getting to this point is almost going to be a victory because I think there's going to be a French open hangover to a certain degree. I think she'll come in. I think she'll be fighting. I think she'll be staying positive, but it there's got to be some, some hangover from such a disappointing, you know, final at the French open, which she should have won, and she knows it. Yeah,
1: I mean, we we talked about that on the on the podcast that we all kind of felt that that was an extremely bad loss right. for her because that was her opportunity. We talked about uh, Wozniacki making runs, uh, and we've been waiting for her to finally get that slam. And I think we were kind of feeling the same way with Halop at this point, although Halop is, um, you know, still relatively in the prime of her career. Yeah. I would say. Um, she's gonna have more opportunities, but we thought that that was her. Like here, here is a shiny star for you. It's time to take it, um, and it didn't happen. But all credit to Ostapenko, she you know, she went out there with no fear and, and completely let it fly, and, and it happened. Um, and that's one thing that I love about the women's game right now. It's there's a lot of uncertainty right now, um, in that somebody like Ostapenko can come completely out of nowhere and just. Seemingly snatch it right out of someone's hands, and that would have been hell. Right. Well,
0: the game is as wide open at Wimbledon this year uh, from the women's side as we've ever seen it because you know Serena isn't here, Sharapova isn't here. There's a lot of question marks. Like you said, Pliskova is the only player who I think you can honestly like. You can say Kvitova, and I understand that, but she has question marks too because she's still coming back. And, yes, she won that tournament. Yeah, we still don't know we where don't, she's no. at. You're right. I mean,
1: I mean it, it, she's the most accomplished grass court player, right. I would say, left in but the draw Plushkova at this has, point.
0: But Pliskova has yeah. the weapons. She's uh, already won a, a grass court title. She's coming in with a ton of confidence. She played well at the French. She's played well all year. So, you know, we know that Pliskova coming in is the only player I can honestly say, if I'm going to pick right now for just one person— Then it's going to be Pushkova. If I'm a betting person, we're not. But she's your lock to get deep. Everybody else is negotiable. Everybody else is negotiable. Yeah. So I agree. um, Yeah. So anyway, that's kind of you know my thoughts when I was going through the quarters there. But uh, like the men's side, I was just back and forth. I was constantly like, there was the one quarter. I think it was the third quarter um, in the draw. I was just looking down through it, and I thought, "There, I don't know, like flip a coin, like it, it, nobody yeah. struck me whatsoever." It, you know, at one point that I thought they actually would win a single match. You know, like one person, like they might lose the first round. Oh, this person might lose in the first round. This, might, this person might lose in the first round. Is there anybody in this quarter that I can honestly say you will make the next round, and I couldn't. I was just dumbstruck.
1: I. I was that way too, um, and you know, I, after I filled out my brackets, both of them, my draws, I stepped away for a little bit and then I picked them up and I was looking through them as I was making sure that they were, you know, in my, uh, recording area so that I was ready to go for today. And I started looking over them and again and I'm looking at them like, I can't believe I picked that. But, but then I was like, well, wait a minute. Let me look back like, and, and it was just because, certain people I just couldn't see winning a match but because of that there was people that got deeper into my draw that I was like there's no possible way that happens but it was just because of the the uncertainty and the way that things are falling right now
0: you know what well, it was that third quarter you know when i was looking down through it was like case fidelina she had a good french but then you know she lost that match and should have won she lost her first match on grass she hasn't played well all you know, uh, Lucic Baroni, uh, she's good, but, you know, I don't, I just, I, I can never feel like I can count on her, even though I know she plays with a lot yeah. of passion. Yep. And then I went down I through agree. everybody, and nobody, you know, stuck out as somebody that I felt like I could hang my hat on when it came to this portion of the draw. So I just, I had to mm-hmm. go back and forth a lot. So I struggled with the women's draw as much as I struggled with the men's draw, honestly. So mm-hmm.
1: I, I agree. I did so, too. Lots of cross crossouts,
0: right? Do you want to let, – let's pinpoint some matches that uh, – in the first round here that we feel like could be good matches on the women's side. What do you think?
1: Um, well, One that points out to me that could be a good match, although neither of them have played well recently, uh, Dominika Cibulkova and Andrea Petkovic, who is a good grass court player. Um, that one could be very good. Um, the Anna Conja-Sabina Siki match, which is the other um, – out of that little section – uh, could be in a really good match as well. Um, trying to think of a couple of others right off the top of my head. Uh, that there was there was a couple of other ones. Um, uh, Victoria Azarenka against CC Bellis in the That's first round. That's
0: gonna be good. That's we're gonna get a first um, look at Bellis. I, I,
1: I When I first when I first Congrats. saw that draw, I I cringed because I felt I felt bad for both. In that, you know, Azarenka is still trying to obviously see where she's at coming back from, um, from becoming a mother. And Bellis, who has had success, is still looking to gain traction. And when you, when you're trying to gain traction to really make runs into tournaments, you don't want somebody like Victoria Azarenka as your first round opponent. Um, and then right below that, Somebody else that I, I feel like every single time that we talk about another Grand Slam, Jeannie Bouchard, we're still waiting um, to, for her to to make her uh, resurgence. We'll play Suarez Navarro, who is not the best grass court player, but because of Bouchard's confidence issues, I feel like that could be a very interesting first-round match. Um, just because... Bouchard's not super confident, and Suarez Navarro, although she has the ability to play well on all surfaces, is just not a naturally good grass court player. But because of her shot making, I think that this could be, you know, a really good matchup right off the bat. And you can't look any further than the very first match on the draw. Angelique Kerber against American Arena Falcone in the first round. Falcone has a very good game. She's... Obviously we haven't seen a lot out of her yet... But she's young, but she has the ability to hit a lot of good shots and she has the ability to go out there and be very confident in what mm. she's doing. So in in my eyes, um, in my eyes that that could be Kerber upset in the first round again. It could be. Um, a, any matchups that you were particularly thinking about? Uh, I know one that I just, just missed and uh, mentioning Agnieszka Morwanska against Yuliankovich in the first round. <laughs> Um, yeah. Yeah. So
0: go, go ahead though. Uh, well, before we get into that, uh, let's briefly, uh, talk, uh, about, you know, a certain Angelique Kerber. Uh, she's a Wimbledon, Wimbledon final, finalist from last year. And I guess the question I have for you is, you know, we've, we went through their entire draw. We're talking about the women's side and yet we never mentioned the world number one on the women's side at all.
1: No, I have Kerber making the third round. Um, I have her getting through Falcone, even though I think that could be a big upset. Um, but after that, um, I have her beating Misaki uh, Doi or Sorry, uh, in the first, in the second round. Uh, but then I have her losing to Safarova in the third round. Um, so I mean, yeah, you know what I mean. It's um, Yeah, uh, it's not surprising that we have not talked about the world number one because as we've said over the last few podcasts, although Kerber has the title of number one, I don't believe right now anybody um, in the tennis world is looking at Kerber as the true number one. Um, Your thoughts on that?
0: Well, it's kind of like Murray. You know, it's like, you know, that they're number one in the world, but at the same time, they're not really number one in the world because the, the person who's number one is the person who's playing best. And while we're looking at the points from last year and then the, you know, they defending the points this year, and of course, that's how the whole rankings thing works. And I, I understand that. That doesn't mean a whole lot to the people that are on the tour. They know who has the hot hand. Right, so even though Murray's number one and and even though Kerber's number one, they're only number one because the guys below them have played so poorly or the women that have played below them have played so poorly or haven't had enough points, just enough points to surpass them. It's like um, you know Kerber's number one, but she knows deep down that the only reason she's number one is because Serena is not playing because Serena is uh, having had just had a baby. And, but she won the Australian Open. If she were playing right now, she would be the world number one, and Kerber knows it. So it's like she almost has like a false ranking. And the same thing with Murray. Murray is is technically number one, but up until a couple of weeks ago, Djokovic was number two in the world, in lieu of having you know one Australian Open and Roland Garros last year, but you know the only reason that, that Murray was staying in that position was because Djokovic honestly was playing so poorly it's like Murray would lose in the in the uh second round okay Djokovic lost in the third round of whatever tournament they were at so if Djokovic had simply played better maybe won a couple of tournaments he would have surpassed Murray you know so it's it happens but it doesn't feel good i think for these players because in a way They're proud of where they're at and what they've accomplished and how hard it was to get there. But at the same time, you want to back up that ranking with results that say, yes, I am number one in the world. I am Andy Murray. I am number one in the world. I got to number one at the end of the year, and I've cemented that number one position by winning Wimbledon. Then you can go, ah, yes, now I feel like I've really truly earned it because I've won a slam while I've been number one in the world. That's something people like to do. And same with Kerber. Kerber would love you know, to go out there, go into Wimbledon, make her way through the draw, get that Wimbledon title, and feel like she's validated her position. Because right now, I, she has no confidence out there. She's a grinder. And if you're a grinder and you're not hitting with confidence, you are not going to win. Period. And that doesn't matter whether you're on the women's draw or woman's side, or if you're on the men's side, a grinder needs to have confidence in their shots that they're going to go in. If they don't have confidence at all, it's worse for them. It's not like quick strike tennis, a uh, big serve, big forehand where you can kind of mask your lack of confidence. If you just have like a big serve or something, cause you've won a ton of free points. Uh, but as a grinder, as a defensive player, you need to have that option. And I just don't think that, uh, Either of these players have that, so
1: I completely agree, completely wholeheartedly. Um, especially on Kerber's side, I just I I don't understand it. She's had the confidence to win the slam, mm-hmm. right? She's had that confidence. She's had the ability to do that, um, and she's been in this top position now for a little while. Obviously, it was ex- expedited a little bit because of the fact that Serena then pulled herself off the tour. But um, I, I agree. I think for Kerber, it's such a mental block. Now remember, um, before she, she, you know, she started making the back halves of the tournaments here again, she was a very consistent player. Always, usually made the second week at just about every Slam. But then she would hit a roadblock. She would hit a tough player, and that player would just, you know, annihilate her. I think you would be in agreement. What I'm trying to say is, I think for Kerber she needs to figure out what it was that happened that allowed her in her confidence level or what she did to make that change so that she mentally was able to then make the back half and beat those players and overcome uh, whatever mental block that she was having at that time. So I think I had mentioned it in one of our other podcasts. I think for Kerber, it's simplification at this point. She needs to simplify what she's doing. I think she needs to go out there and and not obviously as a grinder, it's difficult to go out there and just say, don't do too much. But I think for her right now, simplicity is her biggest her biggest asset she could, you know, employ or big biggest action that she could employ because uh going out there and just, you know, free flowing is not something that's happening for her right now. So I think going out there with some kind of uh, very uh, complicated game plan against anyone, I think is is very very much a bad thing for her. I think she needs to realize that it needs to be very simple. She needs to go out there and focus on what she can do well, and go from there. If she loses, she loses. But if not, um, you know, I honestly think that that's the yeah. case. Um, that she needs to just be simple, go out there. And just just let it fly. Don't don't overcomplicate things at this point. And I think for Murray, it's the same way. I think that um, we obviously saw he grinded his way through the French Open, but I, I kind of feel like for him, it's uh, – is he healthy for one? Uh, I know that he says he's ready, but I honestly don't think that he is ready to go physically. I, I honestly don't, and that's one reason why I have him losing to Puy in a match that – he probably would win 9 times out of 10 but in this instance i don't think that he is physically ready to go yet um i know you had uh, alluded probably a few podcasts ago that you didn't necessarily believe that uh it was his elbow i believe correct that was injured previously um is is that what it was i, I believe I think it was there was his an,
0: elbow. an there was a elbow issue in the latter part of the or the uh spring hardcourt season
1: Right, uh, and I think you had said uh, in, a, in a prior podcast that you believe that that, that may not be completely fixed yet. Um, I believe it was you. Your brother I, I might have been I'm, the one, but I believe I think it I'm, was you.
0: I think I might have said there. Were, I thought there was maybe some lingering uh, issues.
1: Right, right, be- exactly.
0: But I think yeah. ultimately so, it comes down to him not ahead. being confident in his play. But he's getting there slowly. I just don't think it's going to mean a whole lot in a way for this tournament. I feel like he's not where he needs to be mentally still. And he's certainly, if there's a hip issue and it's severe enough, it's it's not going to let him go out there and do what he needs to do as a player. So I think it. he's just got to just go out, work and do, work on something, simplify it, do his best. And if he makes even a, a half-decent run, um, but he's not physically capable and he knows it of getting to the final and winning, then I would just, take what he can get and find the positive in it and move forward into the hardcore season.
1: And I'll be honest. I, I completely agree with you. I think that's what Murray is doing because, because of the fact that he's the defending champion, if he doesn't play at all, there's 2000 points gone from his ranking. He's already struggled this year. His points are not nearly where they were at this point. And I think in his mind, if he doesn't come to Wimbledon and at least grind out, I don't know, at least to the fourth round, he's going to be in major trouble points-wise going into the U.S. hardcourt season, which is a very long and grinding stretch. Probably the most physically demanding stretch, in my opinion. Uh, I know that the clay court season is obviously very physically demanding because it's not quick points. But the U.S. hardcourt season is difficult in that, you're hitting, you're hitting against players that are, that are basically going to hit out all the time because the surface lends to it. But it's hot, and it's hot all the time. It's physically taxing to go out there and know that you've got to swing away on every ball, whether it be serve forehand, backhand, but it's hot. And those temperatures, you feel like you're being baked out there. And I think that for Murray, he knows that if he's going to be down in the draw – going into that hard court season he knows that he's going to have to go against more top guys than he would already um because this is the turning point this tournament is the turning point where murray is number one right now but he's only number one because of wimbledon from last year after this tournament's over he could see a massive drop off in his rankings and i i think that you would uh agree with me on that 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 might be his driving reason to still even be at Wimbledon and not pull out in the first place. Yeah,
0: well, he admitted I think as much a few weeks back. I, I might have been right after the French Open actually about the chances of him, you know, retaining his number one ranking are minimal. You know, he knows what he's up against, and I think even a few weeks ago he he, I won't be. He kind of I feel like he privately. And even a little bit publicly acknowledged that his game isn't where it needs to be. And if he were to to retain his Wimbledon ranking, it would almost be a, a bit of a miracle, to be honest with you. So I feel like that's what what's going on here. He's going to play. He's not going to just not play Wimbledon unless he physically is literally you know, incapable of actually walking out onto the court. But exactly. But at the same time, he's also acknowledged that he's not coming into Wimbledon with the same confidence level that he came in last year. So.
1: Right. Right. I completely agree. So.
0: All right, uh, I, think, um, I think that's pretty much it. Uh, Mike, do you want to wrap up any thoughts here on the entire you know, men and women's side before you know we finish up the podcast here and say goodbye?
1: I, I mean, I think that for the most part, um, final thought, we know on the men's side we're going to see the usual suspects more than likely in the back half of the tournament. Um, obviously, you and I kind of didn't go with that. Um but in all likelihood, it's very possible that we could see them on, on you know in the back half of the tournament um, and obviously to see some very exciting matchups um, on the women's side. Um, and it just lends to what we've been saying on the women's side of the tour now for most of this season. Um, I feel like any match could be an exciting match right now. I don't feel like it's very one-sided. Obviously we'll have matchups where, You know, some players are going to dominate over another just because of stylistically, or um, you know, you put uh, somebody playing with a ton of confidence. We'll say like a Pliskova um, against a qualifier or something like that. Obviously, unless that qualifier is you know just playing at an absolutely unbelievable level, well above their level current, we know Pliskova is probably going to get through that, and it's going to be pretty set in stone. But um, for the most part with most of the women's matches i think that the best thing about the women's draws right now is the uncertainty the uncertainty that there's there's really no guarantee of who's going to win and who's not where on the men's side there's there's a lot of that where when you put certain players against other players unless something that's that's not a normal factor uh goes into the equation that it it's pretty set in stone you know at the beginning of the match you know what the outcome's going to be um, but I think that that's what makes the women's draw um, really good, uh, really exciting, and I think that it's uh, something that I'm looking forward to. That right now, even after I finished my draw last night, I recontemplated things, and I still recontemplated things. And then you and I before the podcast talked, and I started recontemplating things again. Um, I I just think that that's one thing that's that's really drawing me to watch the women's game right now is. I feel like anybody could break out at any point in time and we could see something amazing like we did at the French Open this year with Ostapenko coming completely out of nowhere and, and winning the title. So uh, my final thought is uh, on the men's side, um, on the men's side, let's let's just see what happens. But we, I think we have a good understanding of what we expect to happen. And on the women's side, uh, let's sit back. Make some popcorn and see what happens. Uh, <laughs> um, and 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 like like I said, I think that that's the best thing about the women's tour right now um, is is that we're not complacent right now. And I think that's something that fans waited for for a long time with the women's game. That it got very complacent for a while. Where and and let's just be honest, it, it was Serena when she took the court. She was she was the house. If you're betting on the house, it was Serena um against the field every single time she stepped out there and right now because we don't have that i think it's it's really big positive to the women's game because now when players are going out there they're saying you know what i'm not going to see serena in the final or or even in the second round it doesn't matter where you're at in the draw i have a chance now I, i have a legit shot that i could go out there and play really well and have a chance, whereas a lot of players probably looked at it like, if I go out there and play the match of my life, I'm still probably going to lose uh, for some players, you know. Yep. Um, so I look at it as uh, it's just the uncertainty uh, I think is bringing out more in a lot of the women in that everybody feels like they've got a shot now um, for the most part. That there's there's no guarantee at this point in time uh, in the women's draw. and I, I think that that's something that we've talked about in the last few weeks, that I think it's made the women's game much more exciting than it was even previously, right.
0: Um I guess my final thoughts here on all of this is that uh, it's an unpredictable uh, side of the, you know, the tournament for the women more so than than the men's side obviously. Uh, we've, like you said, we've talked about this for most of the year. The women's side is in a little bit of a chaos. If, if Kerber was uh, firmly entrenched at number one and had been posting good results all year, that would be one thing. But she hasn't. And so she's in a bit of free fall, uh, no confidence. So it's up to other players on the tour to really step up. Uh, we know Plishkova has uh, been doing that all year long. I I really firmly believe that she's going to make a really deep run. If she doesn't win Wimbledon, I think she's going to be very close to winning it. Uh, I just think that this is an exciting uh, time in the women's game. It's a lot of upheaval, a lot of chaos, a lot of uncertainty, and that means a lot of opportunities for other players, especially a lot of young up-and-coming players that are trying to make their mark they're, they're trying to begin their career their real you know their real journey you know they're 17 18 19 20 years old looking for that first major win over a big opponent to really like propel them forward you know and uh you know we saw Ostapenko do that to uh, great effect at the French Open and you know we we look at these players and we say oh this person will crush this person but you know Every Grand Slam seems to have that one young player, who makes a deep run at the, at, uh, the Grand Slam. Nobody thought they had even a remote chance, but they did, and uh, the end result is they uh, they make a big splash. The women's or the men's side much more set. I think uh, we know the guys that are there. We know the people that are vying for the title. There's a lot to prove for. Uh, Nadal and Federer and Djokovic and, and Stan. Uh, we talked about the storylines. I think it's going to be an exciting tournament on both sides and I'm just looking forward to it. I can't wait. So exciting. So uh, I think that's it for our podcast this week, everybody. put uh, when, when in preview fun times, always good to sit and break down the draw and just, you know, talk some tennis. So uh, I think that's it for, for our podcast. So if you'd like to send in your feedback, if you'd like to let us know what you think about uh, our podcast, how we're doing, or if you'd like to send in your thoughts about the draw, or if you'd like to suggest a topic uh, for discussion, um, you can do so by sending in your feedback to uh, tennisaddictpodcast at gmail.com. That's all uh, one word, all lowercase. So it should be easy to remember and uh, just put in the subject line, you know, what your Uh, Email is going to be about, and we'll do our best to uh, get back to you. We'll feature on the next podcast and we'll reply to your comments. So it looks like that's it for us. So, everyone, enjoy the first week of Wimbledon. We'll be back next week for our mid tournament update. Uh, We'll find out uh, what exciting things have been happening on both the men's side and the women's side. So, until then, have a good one. We'll catch you in the next podcast.
1: Enjoy the grass.